franchising is the most misunderstood and most overlooked form of entrepreneurship. We're here to educate you and help you find the entrepreneur within. Franchising is not all about the French fries. We find that individuals who are exploring business ownership tend to have a lot of misperceptions and misunderstandings about the franchise industry. So what we want to do is help prospective business owners make confident and educated decisions before moving forward or not moving forward with the business. Welcome to Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Unpredicted Entrepreneur. I'm Roxanne Rapsky, and this is my colleague, Sarah Wasco. As you know, we created this podcast to provide information and education to aspiring entrepreneurs. Sarah and I focus on the franchise industry, and our guest today is Laura Canada-Lewis. She's an attorney with Canada-Lewis & Associates. Laura, would you kindly introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about what you do before Sarah and I start asking you a bunch of questions? I'd love to. So as you already said, I work with Canada-Lewis & Associates, and we're a local law firm um, that works nationally with a variety of regional and national franchise brands, but we also represent franchisees and um, try to provide them advice prior to um, signing their franchise agreement and then just providing them lifelong support as a business owner. So I'm sure you have probably seen a lot in your um, experience with dealing with franchisors and franchisees. And I think the biggest question I have for you is what are the top three things that you would say a potential franchisee should be aware of when they're considering buying a franchise? I think as they start to narrow down on any particular brand, um, they should really think about the brand itself. And is this a good fit for them? Does it align with their values? Does it align with their personality? And do they have a system that this particular person wants to wants to follow? Because if you don't want to follow the system, you're not going to make a good franchisee. <laughs> right. So that's always the first one. I'm just trying to find that good fit. And then another one is understanding how much support are you going to get. A lot of times people believe they, they pay that initial franchise fee like it's an insurance policy. But it's not, and there's no guarantees in any business. So it, a lot of it depends on how much time and energy you're going to be able to devote to it and your level of passion um, and if it's a good product. But also, what, what are you paying for? So if you're paying royalties, are you getting value for that? What support systems are they going to be able to provide you? Um, and then finally, I think a good understanding of how much work it's going to be. How much time is it going to involve? I find a lot of times people think, they can still work a full-time job and do this on the side. Um, and for some businesses, that's possible, but for a lot of them, it's not. And then, you know, the whole concept of who are you going to have to hire, um, the availability of people that you can hire to do that. And I think we were talking before where I, you know, I mentioned I see a lot of people who believe they can just hire a couple of um, high school kids to run their business and I can't speak for everyone, but I've got four daughters, and they can't keep my dog alive for three days, much less run a business for three days. So um, maybe everyone's experience is different on that. But um, I think understanding how much time it's going to take, and, and is can you be an absentee owner or not? And can your financial resources survive you 
um, quitting your job if that's Mm -hmm. what it takes to maintain this business. So I think some of those things really help um, set the framework for being successful if you understand it. Well, and you know, one of the things we coach our clients strongly on is because there are uh, franchises that say you can do this as a full-time owner-operator or you can be semi-absentee. Meaning you can may, you can maybe spend 10 to 20 hours a week on that business managing your manager. But I think it's really crucial, don't you, that they validate with franchisees that are actually doing that. Absolutely. Right? And hear from them. You can't just take any someone's word. And I think when someone's looking at a franchise and they may, might not be working with a coach like Sarah or I, I know of people that have purchased a franchise and not made one validation call. So um, that's scary. So we coach them to make those validation calls. And what a validation call is, it's, it's, it's calling the franchisees that are in the system or even sometimes the ones that have left and asking them about that system and, and what goes on in the support and how much money they're making and all that stuff. And, and really you want to talk to some franchisees that are doing really well. You want to talk to some that are struggling And then you want to talk to some that are middle of the road because you're going to learn from everybody. Absolutely. Yes, I totally agree. And when you talk about, you know, trying to work a job, for example, people have different levels of flexibility Mm -hmm. in their jobs. And there are times when people are thinking they want to do this job and the business in tandem. And I, I get them to kind of be thinking about, what would happen if you had an emergency in the business in the middle of the day and you're working? Would you be able to leave that? If somebody's starting a new job, I highly discourage trying to start a business and a job at the same time. If somebody's in a job like a teacher, for example, where they don't have flexibility during the day, they have a classroom full of students and they can't leave if something comes up, that's a factor Also, so while there are opportunities to be semi-absentee, and I use that term very loosely, semi-absentee, because it does mean different things to different people, never assume it's going to be what I kind of term mailbox money, that um, you're just going to open your doors (laughs) and the business is going to run itself with employees and you don't have to be involved. Sure. Well, and if it were that easy, everyone would be doing it, right? Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned the the... Uh, validation calls. There's a reason that the federal franchising rule requires that they give you that information. Yes. It's because it is it is good information, mm-hmm. and you don't only just get the franchisees in the system, but you get their former franchisees. Call them. You know, sometimes there's great reasons why they're um, no longer a franchisee. Maybe they made a million dollars and cashed out. Maybe they just got tired or sick or something in their family happened and they they had a good transition to um, another, they sold it or transitioned it to another franchisee. But sometimes that's where all of the secrets lie, right? Oh, absolutely. Why couldn't you be successful? And, you know, there are always times when people didn't have the right expectation, but there are times when the system is just, it's not a good system. And you need to understand that as soon as possible. And if you do your validation calls, that will probably come out and you'll know that ahead of time. So that's why those calls are so important. Yeah. I always tell my clients, the other franchisees that you're speaking with, wake up and do this business every day. So while the franchisor is telling you how it should be, what it's supposed to be happening, the franchisees tell you that reality because they, you know, they're doing that business every day. 
they're the boots on the ground. They, they know are. what's yeah. going on. And a lot of times they know more about the struggles and more about the prob- even problems with the franchisor that the franchisor hasn't even come to realize yet. Exactly. Um, they also tell you the great benefits that a lot of times the franchisor doesn't even isn't even aware of as well. So right. they can give you just um, amazing insight that you're not going to get anywhere else. Besides all that, they'll tell you the day-to-day operational cost, hurdles, timing, um, other things that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else. Absolutely. What is a day in the life? I'm big on a day in the life. Yes. Um, even if you can do that in person, that's that's great too. I know some franchi- franchises, part of their process is letting you ride along for half a day with one of their franchisees and really seeing what it's like. So um, the more information you can get, the better. Absolutely. You can't just make a few calls and look at a franchise disclosure document and think all is well in the land. So Speaking of the franchise disclosure document and what a lot of your world revolves around, um, I we talked about this on the phone a little bit, and you said, yeah, but, so I want to talk about that with you here, because I always tell my clients that uh, franchise agreements are all very one-sided. They're written in favor of the franchisor, and on top of that, they're not negotiable. And of course, I mean they're they're not negotiable on the big items, right? There are some things that can be negotiated, and of course, you would know that better than anybody. So let's talk a little bit about what you feel is negotiable, what could be negotiable, and then the absolute not negotiables, and then understanding that as we're talking about this, there are franchisors that say, no, you sign it exactly like this or you're not a franchisee, right? Because we know that that, those exist too. Absolutely. So I always tell people that you're entering the world of franchising, but each franchisor does it just a little bit differently. So kind of give us some of your insights there. So they absolutely do. And, and, you know, part of the trick to not negotiating is to say, this is a regulated document. We've submitted it to the states and we can't change it. And I say the same thing, too, because I don't want to change it. <laughs> so, um, so to the extent possible, that's my plan. But, but when you have a, a, a savvy franchise attorney on the other side or even a savvy negotiator, um, there are some things that are negotiable. You can't modify the document, but you can make an addendum to the back of it mm-hmm. where you can say, we'll change one or two things um, in favor of the franchisee. So... The things I look for, first of all, it depends on the age and the size of the system. So if I'm if if my client is going to be a new franchisee in a territory where there aren't other other company stores or franchises, that means they're going to have to build all the goodwill in that area. So maybe they get to keep more of their advertising dollars for a local spend rather than participating in the ad fund right away. Um, Because you already know that it's not contemplated in the ad fund to be marketing in New Mexico if there weren't any uh, stores in New Mexico. So let me keep more of those ad fund dollars, but I commit to spend them on local advertising. I just need more bang for my buck Mm -hmm. here. Um, So, And a lot of times franchisors will give you that. Um, Sometimes there's, similarly, you might be able to negotiate um, some of your Um, initial franchise fee being applied towards grand opening marketing, that type of thing, if you're new in a market um, or overcoming some kind of hurdle that you know about in a particular market. I generally strongly encourage my clients not to waiver or make adjustments on their royalty fees. I feel like um, 
royalty fees are what support the franchisor, but they're also what support the services to franchisees. And if you're going to ask some of your franchisees to pay that tax and pay for those services, then you shouldn't have free riders. There shouldn't be someone who gets the benefit of the services without paying for them. Absolutely. And I would say, by and large, most franchisors try to stick to that. And so they try to um, keep their um, royalty fees the same. Some, however, will give you an escalation so where you can get, so let's just say it's going to be 7% royalties, but you can start at 4 graduate to 5 and then bump to 6 and 7 um, so sometimes you can negotiate an escalation on a newer system or in a newer area. But then I, I think there's other opportunities in the franchise agreement. You know, they, they come with a, a lot of burdens. And so if you can go through there and, and, and where it says, I have to provide updated financial information, can we limit that to once a year? Because I don't want it to become my second job that I'm providing you financial information at your whim. Um, can we negotiate some of the default language some things have to be in there to protect the brand and the investment that the other franchisees have, but some of it is pretty onerous. Mm. Some of it's kind of subjective. Um, and so I like, I'm, I'm all for um, objective reasons um, to protect the brand and um, make sure everything's on the up and up, but it's a little difficult to invest half a million dollars in a business and just know that someday you could wake up and say, hmm, I don't really like that thing you did. I think it might hurt our reputation. And so I, I think you spoke out at the the PTA meeting and we don't we don't want people to speak out at the PTA meeting. So we're gonna terminate your franchise. That's that's pretty harsh, yeah. right? So I more objective things, failures to perform are one thing, certainly things that jeopardize the trademarks, but anything you can do to minimize um, risk exposure. And, you know, nowadays I see more and more where they say all of the business data is becomes the franchisor's confidential data and we own it. Well, I like to at least say we co-own it. For heaven's sakes, I created it yeah. and it's in my computer. And <laughs> even when I leave, I'm going to have to use that information to file my taxes. And so when you put language in there that says it's your data and I can't use it after termination, in theory... I wouldn't be able to use it to file my taxes right. or anything yeah. else. I mean, there's just some things that just are a little further than they need to go. And so um, I try to negotiate those and just clean them up. And that is oh. such the value of having someone like you involved in the process because most people don't know how to, I don't, um, be that um, thorough and really have that understanding of some of those nuances. And so I have given this example quite a few times that I had a client last year who is an attorney. And I was a little uncertain if I should recommend him using a franchise attorney because he's an attorney. And he said, and I feel you know 100% in agreement with him, that franchising is not his expertise. He did contract law or something else. I honestly don't remember what um, his area of specification is, but attorneys are a lot like doctors where everybody kind of has a primary focus. And he said, I don't read these agreements every day. I want to know somebody, I want to have somebody review this that can point out, this is unusual. I've never seen this before. This is a red flag. So while certain things may not necessarily be negotiable, you at least want to understand 
what they are so that if that's a deal breaker for you or you're uncomfortable with it, you know ahead of time Absolutely. instead of after signing the agreement. That's right. So, um, you know, I think that's such a value in having someone like yourself who has read so many documents and has been involved in writ writing so many franchise disclosure documents to really be um, kind of the, the big eyes, if you will, to really point out some of those things that most people would not have acknowledged or understood. Well, and even being in this industry and doing this since 2007, when my husband and I purchased a franchise, I hired a franchise attorney. Me too. That's not my area of expertise. And I, exactly what you're saying, I wanted somebody that does this every day, all day long, um, with that expertise to look at my franchise agreement and let me know if there was something fun. And, and it was a new concept as well. So... Even if it were a mature concept, I would 100%, without a doubt, every single time, hire a franchise attorney. And, you know, obviously we can't force our clients to do that, right? But that's part of our process is we give them referral sources. And we always say that we recommend it might be the best $1,800 or $2,200 or whatever it is that you've ever spent because you're going in eyes wide open and you know exactly what you're signing up for. And, and with that, I think one of the things that I sometimes forget to talk about up front, and I usually mean to because it's such a part of a franchise agreement and then also a commercial lease, is the personal guarantee. Yes. Sometimes that's a deal breaker. And I feel like I need to do a better job of remembering every single time to remind them mm -hmm. up front, look, if this is going to be a deal breaker for you, let's not even go down this path. So let's talk about the personal guarantee and let our listeners know a little bit more about that and what it is. So that is always a tough one, right? Because we, um, we all know that we can create a corporation and it's going to shield us from liability. And so everyone's going to go create their limited liability company or corporation and go charging forward. And then the brakes kind of get hit when you say, oh, but I want you to go ahead and sign a personal guarantee so that we can get around all those corporate right. protections um, and it is scary. Um, and it certainly does expose your personal assets. Now, I have found that a lot of franchisors will negotiate that personal guarantee to some kind of cap. You know, you will accept a, a limit on the amount of liability that you'll accept or no more than, um, I hate to say this term because most people don't understand it, but lost future royalties for perhaps two years because, um, for example, if you close early, you may still have an ongoing duty to pay royalties mm -hmm. um, through the end of that term. And so you want to manage that. What if, you, what if you close that business after three years? You don't want to find out, oh, I'm still supposed to pay royalties for another seven years. Right. And they have a personal guarantee on me, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, so if you can negotiate some, some bumpers and some boundaries around the personal guarantee with your franchisor, that's helpful. Um, and certainly it's also helpful when you come to your commercial lease. You know, for the market on commercial leases, we, we review easily 50 or more a year and negotiate, um, negotiate them. And it varies wildly. Sometimes um, if the market is really, really soft, you can get out of personal guarantees. In 2008, you could lease anything with no personal guarantee. <laughs> But then we got to, you know, 2012, 13, 14, and they wanted a full-term um, yeah. guarantee. Now we're seeing more and more where we can negotiate, okay, 
we'll we'll commit to the first three to five years and then maybe a rolling 12 months of the ongoing obligation so that the the uh, landlord always has some protection but you're not completely on the hook for the entire term that's great to know yeah. because again it's that expertise that most of us would not have realized we could negotiate you know come to a compromise or some kind of an agreement on without that advice from a professional so um just, I feel your, those services of a franchise attorney are just invaluable. A lot of clients will ask us, when do I hire an attorney? And we recommend that really being the last step before so too. making that investment because um, obviously to Roxanne's um, comment a little bit earlier, there is a fee to that. So there's no reason to kind of get that deep in the weeds with the agreements until you really have right. narrowed down what, what your choices are. And I know Sometimes, and I'll, I'll appreciate your feedback on this, um, franchise attorneys come back with a list. Here's many items that are worthy of your notice and attention. So how do you recommend then that they take that feedback back to the franchisor to potentially maybe try to negotiate some of those items? And should they negotiate all of them? Or what advice do you give clients in those situations? I think you have to be strategic. Most of the time you've spent that your clients have spent enough time with the franchisor that they kind of know where the soft spots are and maybe where the hotter buttons are. Um, so when we do our, our reviews, we generally write a memo that's seven to 10 pages. So it's fairly lengthy. And, um, and then we talk through the, the things that we found to be um, of note. But sometimes just even in talking through that, you, the, the client realizes, oh, I, I'm glad you told me about that, but I don't actually care about that. That's not going to be a big deal. That's not going to be something that's going to affect me, so I'm not going to worry about that. Or maybe they know a little bit more about the system, so when they put our comments um, together with what they know about the system, they don't really think that it'll, that will create a risk. So normally you can boil that down to seven or eight things that you really want to focus on. I encourage my clients not to send my memo over to the franchisor <laughs> because, you know, I always tell them, I assume that they've told you all the good things. I'm just here to point out the negatives. And so sometimes franchisors, they, they see the memo and they're like, oh my gosh, 10 pages of terrible things. <laughs> so that just doesn't cue it up for a great conversation. But if you can either cut and paste those comments or just list them out, you know, these are the five or six, seven things that I talked to my attorney about, you know, she was concerned about this, I'm concerned about that, how can we make that right? Um, and, and a lot of times franchisors will come back with, um, you know, some kind of compromise. They want to make a deal. That, and um, again, these documents are drafted by lawyers. And so sometimes they put things in there that are much harsher than the franchisor really intends it to be in real life. But we all know if, if it's not in writing, it's, it, it is what it is. Yeah. So a lot of times they'll agree. And what I find that franchisors kind of fall in two pools. Some franchisors say, we'll let you have that. Our attorney will draft it and you can let your attorney review it. But others say, we'll let you have that, but we don't want to pay our attorney to draft it. So call your attorney. If she'll put an amendment together, we'll, we'll execute it. And so whichever way it goes, we don't really care as long as we can get what the client needs. So we find it goes both ways. That's great information. That is great information. Yeah. Really, really good to know. And you know what you were talking about earlier in terms of 
making changes. I think franchisees need to be grateful that a lot of that is consistent and they don't mm-hmm. have to worry that their neighboring franchise partner, you know, franchisee in the brand got a better deal than they got. And that those franchisors want to keep consistency among their brand and treat everyone fairly and equal. Sure. And you don't want it to be willy-nilly enforcement either. Right. I mean, there's an opportunity for quite a bit of enforcement and people, and and it is true that it is to protect the brand and the trademarks, but I, I counsel my franchisors this isn't just protecting your brand. It's protecting every single franchisee's investment. All You have 200 franchisees who've invested half a million dollars in this brand. You have a duty to protect them and their investment. So you can't have one rogue franchisee out, you know, selling hot dogs in the middle of the McDonald's, right? Like McDonald's can't sell hot dogs. <laughs> no hot dogs in the middle Why? of McDonald's. Darn. <laughs> Well, Laura, it has been a pleasure having you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell our listeners how they can reach you if they need advice from a franchise attorney. Absolutely. You can reach me locally at 469-664-0120 or on my website, canadalewis.com, where we have all of our contact information and look forward to hearing from you all. Thank you so much, Laura. We appreciate your time. Thank yes. you. And um We do appreciate your time. And for uh, those of you who want to follow more episodes of Unpredicted Entrepreneur, please look for Roxanne Rapsky and Sarah Wasco on LinkedIn. And you can also follow our YouTube channel at FranNet of Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma. Thanks so much for joining us and have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.